at Stuttgart. Absolute destruction is what I'm seeing. Everything is destroyed. Twisters tear across the four states from Chautauqua, Kansas, through Baxter Springs and Pittsburgh, Oklahoma. And this has gotten uh, bad. We're literally about two minutes and 20 seconds in front of this storm. We're going where no sane research team has ever gone before. Uh, we need to get out of here. Oh, yeah. Go east. I see it. I see it. We've got a tornado warning issued here in Dawson County. We're approaching uh, rapidly from the southeast. Right back here. This is massive wall cloud here. <laughs> I hate lightning. So I changed it from last week because I love him screaming back up. Have you ever done that? You ever been just like in a storm in your life and you're just like, I want to get out of here. This is what we're talking about in our series on storm chasers. We've talked about Daniel. We've talked about David. And we've been kind of coming up with the idea that we want to be a people who when there's a storm on the horizon that, that's, that's, that, that's coming, that we know God is going to put us through. We don't try to avoid it. We don't try to drive around it. That God has equipped us to be able to go through that storm. That we have a God who loves us. And so while everyone else is doing everything they can to get away from that storm, we would be a people who are storm chasers who say, I, I serve a God who knows I'm going to have to get through this thing. And so uh, this morning, um, like I warned last week, we're talking about money. And, and I mean, in the church, if you want to have a topic that gets people running for the doors and, um, you know, already the church kind of has this thing that, that says, man, all they talk about is money. I mean, if you, if you were to talk to, uh, uh, if you were to take a poll of a group of people who don't come to church, that'd be probably their number one thing. They talk about money. And, and there's a reason, actually, because I, I think in a lot of ways, it's kind of true. Now, maybe they don't go about it the right way, but Jesus talked more about money than any other topic. And so if Jesus talks about money and if the Bible is constantly talking about money and if God set up the system and there's all this kind of stuff, it, it would be almost irresponsible as a pastor not to talk about money. As a matter of fact, since it's the Super Bowl, I'll share something that I was sharing with our, we had this annual meeting a few weeks ago um, with our leaders and uh, with members of the church and I was saying, you know, you know what it's like being a pastor? Because I've only been a pastor for five years. But it's like, it's like if you were a coach hired onto a team and, and they said, we want to win the Super Bowl. And you said, okay. And they hire you on. And they said, that is your goal, to win the Super Bowl. And so they hire you on and you get on and you call the team together and they're all fat and out of shape. And you go, man, the first thing we're going to do is we're going to start a conditioning program. Hey, hold on there, fella. We don't talk about conditioning here. We don't, that's taboo. Every coach we've ever had talks about conditioning. We're, do you just teach us the playbook and we'll run the plays? And the coach goes, well, if we can't talk about conditioning, ain't no use running the plays because we're going to lose. That's what it's like 
when a pastor comes in and he's hamstrung and he can't talk about money. So I'm excited because I don't care. And I think it's a great topic. And I think what money does, I think the reason why it kind of gets us a little bit is because the topic of money really causes us to begin to ask ourselves some really deep questions, some really tough questions. And I think what happens is when we begin to ask ourselves those questions, we don't like it. And so we don't like the subject. You know, we just go, ah, it just makes me feel uncomfortable. I I think that's great. And I think maybe that's why Jesus talked about it so much. And as a matter of fact, we're going to look at a verse at the very end of this morning that ties this all together. And I think really kind of gets down to the heart of the matter. See, the the whole thing, if you were to kind of get to the source of everything, and in your, in your bulletin, you'll see one, one kind of thing filled out or that you're going to fill out. And it's this point, my heavenly father will provide for my needs. That's, what, that's the answer to that little fill in the blank. My heavenly father will provide for my needs. I want us to say that as a community. Ready? Here we go. My heavenly Father will provide for my needs. Let's do it one more time as though we actually thought it were true. Okay. My heavenly Father will provide for my needs. Because here's the thing. I've been in the church for, uh, in church leadership and all this kind of stuff for about 25 years in every capacity you can imagine. I mean, now I'm a pastor, but before I was a worship leader and before that I was on the board and president of the board. And let me tell you, when you become president of the board, and Aaron, Aaron will attest to this, it ain't because you were elected. It's because no one else wants to do it, okay? So we look at the president of the board and go, wow, he was president of the board? It's just like he just didn't know that he was stupid at the time. He said, I'll do it. Okay, so that's what happens. But I've been all this. I can't tell you how many church budgets I've helped prepare. I'm, I'm just around church and money. I've been around church and money my whole life. And what I found over the years, whether it's tithing, giving, sacrificial giving, whatever you want to call it, it always comes down to that statement. My heavenly father will provide my needs. And this is the rub. And when I talk to people about his tithe, Old Testament and New Testament and all this kind of stuff. And if you want to talk about it, I can talk about that all day long. Again, I love the subject. I love the subject of tithing. As a matter of fact, money is so, and giving is so ingrained into us. I have a couple questions. When, when, when God created the heavens and the earth, and, and then Adam and Eve sin, you read a story about Cain and Abel bringing their offering to God. Where did that come from? There was no law back then. But why did they do that? And then God liked Abel's sacrifice but didn't like Cain's why I mean this idea of giving to God this idea of could it actually be his does is there a part we're supposed to set apart for him there's so much evidence there's so much scripture the burden of proof is on the person who doesn't give 
And so what ends up happening is we kind of get into this thing about, should I tie the, the gross in the net? And what if I give half of it to this and this to my grandma and this, all this, my tithe and all this kind of stuff. But we miss that weightier thing of the law. My heavenly father will provide for my needs. And so we go not only with just the 90% he allows us to have, we say he's not providing and so I need to get more. And so we go into debt and we get caught into the spiral of getting from the world and we know that that never works. And so we're caught. And what I want to talk about this morning is a release of God's kingdom into our lives, not a financial release. I'm not telling you if you give, you're going to get back more. You might just have less. What I'm saying is a release of just God's spirit in your marriage, in your home, where you get to begin to ask yourselves those tough questions. And as you process through, why can't I live on 90%? Why is God only giving me this much? When you begin to wrestle with all those, you will find a strength in your life. God's kingdom will begin to be fulfilled in your life. And so that's what we're going to talk about this morning. We're talking about a guy named Joshua. Joshua um, was um, one of the spies. Moses took all the uh, Israelites out of Egypt and they crossed the Red Sea and that was a big miracle. And they finally get to the promised land. It didn't take very long at all to get there. And they get there and Moses sends in 12 spies. And, and uh, 10, you know, it's, uh, and 10 um, they, they all come back and they all agree the land is awesome. God totally scored us some land. I mean, this is, this is excellent. They even bring some of the grapes and they don't say how big they were, but I expected like each grape to be about this big, you know, like the, you know, they're like carrying it. Oh man, these grapes are awesome. You know, and here's some grain. There's like, you know, one wheat grain. It's like, you know, it's like, I don't know. I, and, and so everyone agrees on that. And then they say, but there's giants in the land. Ten of them say there's giants in the land. We can't, we can't do it. And two of them were Caleb and this guy named Joshua. And Joshua's like, bump that. Let's go. We, we don't have time for this. It's God, God gave us the land. It's his kingdom. And so the people side with these ten, these ten uh, other spies. And then they spend 40 years wandering around. Can you imagine being around Joshua for those 40 years? Ugh. I told you guys, if we had just gone, you know, are you tired of the manna yet? Well, we could have had the, you know, I, I just, I wouldn't want to be around Joshua. So that whole generation has to die off and they do. And now God has come before Joshua and he said, now's the time. And what we've been talking about in this Storm Chaser series is that these storms start small and they begin to whip up and they call them F1, F2, F3, F4, F5, Right. You start to get this, the winds of change are happening. I want to read to you what happens with Joshua, how God comes to him in verse six. He says, be strong and courageous. (coughs) Excuse me. Because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate it, meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. 
Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. I have a heavenly Father that's going to supply all my needs when he calls me into this. What he calls me to, right, he can bring me through. My heavenly Father provides all my needs. So Joshua goes back to the people and explains what's going on. And even the people say to Joshua, be strong and courageous. It becomes kind of like their battle cry, kind of like ours is reach, restore, and respond. Theirs is be strong and courageous. And so it's beginning to, to whip up and it, it, gets, it gets bigger and bigger. Then Joshua sends out spies to spy out Jericho. You know how many he sends out? He sends out two because he's like, bump the other 10. It ain't worth anything anyway. I'm just gonna pick the right spies and go. So they go out there. He picks the spies. He goes in uh, and, and they see Rahab the harlot. And it's this awesome story. And so then uh, Joshua says, uh, we're going to go in and take Jericho. And, and basically what he's saying is the ark's going to come into the River Jordan and the River Jordan's going to part. And he says, I don't even want you guys a thousand yards by this ark. Because it's, it's holy, it's set apart. And you get this idea that God's with him and he's moving and, there, and, and there's gonna be this great kingdom advance and you actually have this land that's theirs and they're gonna go in and take it. That in fact, God's kingdom will come on earth as it is in heaven, the way it was supposed to be. And it's beginning to go. And so they go through this thing. And let me show you what he says. He says, Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. And I can tell you, church leaders, our staff, the board, every pastor pretty much I've ever met, this is their heart's cry that they would stand before the people they lead and they say, consecrate yourself for tomorrow. The Lord's gonna do great things among you at your work, in your neighborhoods. I mean, essentially, if you could sum it all down, it's like, let's go do this. That's what Joshua says. So they cross that river and they make this altar and they put 12 rocks there. And it's basically to be a memorial for God's greatness. And again, the, the, the storm is gathering. Why did, he said, when, when, when someone asked, why did you put this altar there? He says, he did that, God did that, so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. Then they circumcised themselves because in the 40 years they weren't being circumcised. So men were being circumcised. Ow. Right? I mean, they're taking it seriously. It's starting to, everyone's starting to get it. And then they have 40 years of manna, night, day after day after day after day after day, 40 years of manna. And they eat some of the fruit of Canaan and they eat some of the roasted grain and the manna stops. And God says, from now on, you're going to start eating from this land. Can you imagine how electric that, that must have been? The next day they wake up waiting for manna. It's like, no, we're going to possess the land. And so, I mean, it's just building and building. So then um, uh, uh, Joshua's there and um, all of a sudden this guy shows up. He looks up and he sees this man standing in front of him with a sword drawn in his hand. And it turns out that it's the commander of the army of the Lord, right? And Joshua says, are you, are you for us or are you against us? Like, what are you doing here? And then Jesus says this thing that, like, okay, if I ask Jesus, are you for me or against me? I'm looking for for me. 
right? I, I'm for you. That's, that's the answer I'm kind of looking for. But you kind of get this idea that it's way bigger than that. He says this, neither. But as the commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my uh, Lord have for his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. You're starting to get this idea that there's something brewing. There's this, this kingdom advancement that's about ready to happen. I always like thinking about an American Christian being in that situation and He'd be like, I'm not going to take off my... And just getting stabbed in the chest. Okay. Uh, uh, and so Joshua did so. It's one of my favorite verses. Right? And we know the story. Jesus essentially gives him the battle plan. For seven days, you're going to march around Jericho once every day. And on the seventh day, seven times, you're going to be quiet the whole time. And then on the last day, you're going to yell. And gonna, the walls are going to fall down. And you're going to take over Jericho. And it happened. I mean, talk about, you can't stop a people like that. Now, what is going to stop a movement of God like that? It's been 40 years in the making. God had chosen his man. It's all working to plan. What could possibly stop a people like that? And so they go to the next city. It's AI. They send in some spies again. They basically come back and they say, look, let's not weary the people getting them all over there. We only need a few. We'll go knock them out. And they lose the battle of AI. A weak, lame city. And 36 of them die. And what happens to Joshua is what happens to every leader. He falls down on his knees and he says, what in the world is going on? And this is what happens. I mean, in every church, there's a movement, there's a, there's a momentum, and all of a sudden, something comes to a screeching halt, and the leaders get down on their knees, and they're like, man, did we miss something? Did, did we get the bad? Was, did you have something else? Was there something hidden that I didn't, I didn't see? I, I, wh- wh- what's going on? And, and so you'll have a staff and a board, and everybody's talking, and they're trying to figure out what in the world happened. Everything was going great. We, we know God told us to take over this land. What happened? And so they're there. They got dust on their heads. Joshua tore his clothes. I don't think I've ever done that, but I've been upset before, right? I don't think I've ever tore my clothes. And the Lord comes to Joshua in chapter 7, verse 10. He goes, stand up. What are you doing on your face? It has nothing to do with a plan. It has nothing to do with the movement of God. It has to do with materialism. What? Hold on. Israel has sinned. They violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things they have stolen. They have lied. They have put them with their own possessions. I want to give you a little history of Living Spring. And hopefully we can make this connection and, and you can kind of see where my heart is and where we're going this church and its history has done a lot of amazing things. And, um, and we're poised right there to do it again. But there's been a, there's been a problem. <clears throat> this church has never funded itself fully. That we've always had renters. 
In fact, if we were to remove those renters, we, there's no way we could continue on the way we've continued on. And so there's been this kind of feeling among the people that everything's going fine when in fact what God has put on my heart is that we should be able to survive without any renters at all, that we should be self-funded. And you go, well, what does this have to do with any of this? Well, here's what I'm getting at. God has designed this system that he's given us this money, this, this, this money that he's given us. He's provided for us. And he ta- says, I want 10%. I want you to devote it to me. And sometimes we take part of that back and we put it in our driveway or we hang it on our wall or we do whatever we need to do to, to make ourselves comfortable because we don't really believe way back in our first set statement that my heavenly father will provide my needs. And so right now, Living Spring is in a fantastic position to be poised to do great things for Garden Grove, for the surrounding cities. I mean, we have the right leadership in place. We have the right structure in place. Everybody's on board. Our board gets along smashingly. Well, that sounds bad, actually. Uh, Fantastically, right? Our staff, we have awesome, everything's ready to go. But I want to show you one area at Living Spring where we have come to a screeching halt. Yay, the facility sucks. Yay. Here's the thing. Do not write, give me an email about how your cousin is a painter and we can get painting done for half price. What you're seeing there has nothing to do with a plea for money for the facility. I, I, I promise you, it just doesn't. We can get a loan that will fix all those things. I can go to the conference and say, in the denomination we're in, and say, we'd like a grant to get those things fixed. And we can probably get that grant. But that is not what the Lord's requiring of us. I I guarantee it. He's not saying, hey, look, I, I haven't provided for the people, so just, hey, whatever you can do to knock that out, go, go get it. I think we are at a point right now where he's just saying, are we ready to be obedient as a people in our financial stewardship? And again, if you're new, I am so sorry you're here right now because typically I'm much funnier than this. No, uh, but... This is just the reality of of what it means when you start talking about money, when you start talking about the kingdom is, is advancing and then it halts. There are real consequences when the people of God are not obedient. And so it shows up, maybe it shows up in the facility, maybe it shows up in kids not going to camp, maybe it shows up in not enough Bibles for this, maybe it shows up in this, but there are real consequences. This is what happened to Achan. And again, we're not going to take you out and stone you which, like they did here because that's uh, that is some Old Testament stuff. But God says this, Israel has sinned. They violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They've taken some of the devoted things they've stolen. They have lied and they put them with their own possessions. Don't show that. Good. Thank you. Because you'll be in trouble with that video again. Achan replied this, it is true. I've sinned against the Lord God of Israel. This is what I've done. When I saw in the plunder a beautiful robe from Babylonia, 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and I took them. 
They're hidden in the ground inside my tent with the silver underneath. Now we can talk all day about what does that mean? And is it, uh, well, I bought a robe just the other day. Am I, is it sin? We're going to strip all that away. And we're going to go back to the original question. Does my heavenly father really supply all my needs? And if so, why do I not have more money than I think I should? And let's wrestle with that question. And, and then if, if I really give 10%, that means that I'd have to give up. That means I'd have to move. That means I'd have to sell and wrestle with it. Don't shortcut the process by going, we shouldn't be talking about money. Don't shortcut the process by going, you know what? I didn't like that pastor anyway, and I'm going to another church. You, certainly you can do that, but don't shortcut the process, the deep work. Listen, the deep work that God wants to do in a people uh, an obedient biblical community of saying, you know what? I'm going to stand by this promise and I'm going to go through the storm of being obedient in this area. Don't sidestep the issue. Go before God and say, God, I don't know if I can do this and we got something to talk about here. Let me show you what Jesus says because this is the only God Jesus names in Matthew six twenty four, he says this. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. If you're going to take God's 10% and pull it from him, it's going to another God. And you can't serve both of them. You got to figure it out. Now, the reason I'm passionate about this and the reason I have no problem just speaking it is because I've had to go through this in my own life and I've experienced the freedom of asking myself those questions and the freedom of sitting down with my wife and going, baby, if we make this true, this is what we're going to have to give up. And I've walked through those tough decisions and looking at something I really want and going, it's not my 90%. And going before the Lord, I want that. And having to wrestle with it and having to figure it out and watching how he provides in weird ways and how he didn't provide and us going, whew, so glad he didn't provide that. And that whole process that we didn't shortcut by going, you know what, I'll just work it out with your 10%. I think we can get it going. It's freedom. It's freedom. You can't serve both of them. And so then Jesus goes on, and he, this is the verse that just kind of puts it all in perspective and puts everything, all the questions, and, you know, well, first I'm going to do this. And it, just, it, just, it just puts them all aside. It's again in that same section of Scripture. As a matter of fact, in your small groups, all your questions will, <laughs> excuse me, come from this Matthew Scripture. Matthew six nineteen. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. And then it's like Jesus sums up the whole thing and throws all the garbage out and says, this is essentially why we talk about money. Because Jesus knows a truth about you and about me and about our relationship with God. And he sums it up with this sentence. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And really, when we get down to it, sacrificial giving is a heart issue. 
It's not a financial issue. It's not a, I get a raise issue. It's not, but I never went to college issue or, but you know, my parents never, it, it has nothing to do with that. As a matter of fact, the greatest gift you can give your kid, one of the greatest gifts you can give your kids is to teach them to tithe very young because they just don't struggle with this for the rest of their lives. I would talk to a young lady after first service and she's in high school. Man, this stuff just, Yeah. She says, Pastor John, I'm so happy. I, I was confirmed everything. I, I make $10 a week and I give $2 a week to the church and I was feeling so guilty that it wasn't enough. But now I have freedom that I'm actually giving more. I said, yeah. I said, and you can double your salary and you're still in obedience, right? And she was all stoked. Like, I never thought about that. See, that's the thing. It's freedom, guys. It's not this, oh, it's, it's, it's going through that difficulty of saying, do I really believe the first statement? Does my heavenly father, will he provide for my needs? And when you get to the point in your life where you say, yes, he can, you're not going to get a raise, okay? If you do, God bless you. You're going to have a freedom in your life and in your family and in your marriage. And this is what, when pastors talk about money, at least the ones I hang out with, this is their heart's cry, that they would be part of a biblical community that says, bump it. We're not buying into the system. We're not, it, it's not that great so we can repave the parking lot. It's that we all want to be part of a community where everybody's obedient. And the reality is, when we're in a community where there's this spirit of kind of, I know what's mine, the kingdom of God gets halted. And this is what's happened here. And we are ready to go. And I don't, I don't want to take out a loan and do this. I just, want, I just want us to be obedient and see what happens. And, and so that's where my heart is on this. And again, I'm not, I, I apologize. As the worship team comes back, um, I, uh, I want, I've, I've told this story before, but I'll tell it again. Because um, there's a second part of the story that I've never told. And I've always been scared to tell it because it'll get people thinking in the wrong way, I think. But... So Lisa and I bought this house and we were upside down in the house and uh, <coughs> we had an adjustable rate loan. This has never happened to anybody, but uh, we had this adjustable rate loan. The house was going down, our interest rate was going up and all this kind of stuff. And so, I, and I hadn't paid my tithe in like three months because I, I was being disobedient. And I, it was a cash flow issue. The Lord understood. Um, and so... Uh, I just realized I got to write this check, man. And my, it was about the same as my mortgage. And so I, so Lisa and I sat down and it was painful because we loved that house and it was painful. We sat down and I just said, we got to decide. We're going to tithe or we're going to do the house. And uh, we decided to tithe. And so what I never told was two weeks after that, I got this huge promotion and I, and, and, and we were able to refinance the house and interest rates came down and we were able to get in a fixed rate that was three points lower than what the adjustable was at. And so through the flipping of my income going up and our house payment going down, it was like 1,200 bucks a month. Now, if I told you that, 
would you be more excited to tithe than if I told you we lost the house, but we were united in our finances? And see, these are the kinds of questions we got to ask ourselves as a community. Are we willing to face the storm? Are we willing to go in and go, and you know what? I'm going to take some measurements about myself and my God, and I'm going to really find out what my faith is worth. 